Recently, I made a pretty big decision that I was going to be leaving all the bands that I've been playing in um, on bass. So the Weird Sisters, Violent Moons, Norfleet, uh, TH3. And this was not an easy decision for me to make. Um, this is something I kind of pondered on for a little while because I felt like I've really reached the peak of everything that I can do right now. And I wasn't sure if I could keep going down this road at this pace when I'm booked multiple nights a week and just starting to feel burned out trying to maintain having a normal life with a music life, a rock and roll life. So when I started having these thoughts, I decided that I was going to start working on my own solo music because I have some recorded and now I'm going to have three nights to do it. Mostly I, I am playing a couple of nights a week out at gigs and also rehearsing, which I'm very lucky to be able to do all of those things. But it just started adding up to where little by little I had less and less time for myself. And I really felt like I was starting to slip. Um, just burned out, exhausted all the time waking up, going to try and make money, coming home, getting ready for rehearsal, going to rehearsal, then it was just a rinse, lather, and repeat. And I, I really have felt like I'm not going to be able to perform at the level that I need to to do all of these things. And I'm incredibly grateful for Gabby and Isaac, of course, from the Weird Sisters, Kira and Aubrey from Violet Moons, and Josh Norfleet of Norfleet. It was very difficult to tell them that this was something that I wanted to do. Uh, I've had a few of these thoughts over the years, and it's hard to walk away from something when I know it's going well. Because um, it kind of, in a lot of ways, came out of nowhere. But I knew it was a move that I had to make for myself to make the next steps in my career. And luckily, uh, you know, I, I spoke to everyone and... They all took it really well and were very understanding, but still it was not easy to do, especially after, you know, I've been involved with Josh. I produced his solo material and he's really just kicking off his solo career. I just got done recording with Violet Moons and then with the Weird Sisters, uh, <laughs> they're just doing their thing and being crazy. So it's hard to walk away from that, but reinvention is necessary. And today joining me is Danny Shaw of Eat Sleep Rock fame and also Nashville Carpet Cleaning fame. What's up? How's it What's going? What's up? How are you doing, Danny? Can't complain, man. Just uh, hanging in there. The man with the plan, the boss himself. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't always have a plan, but uh, I try to. And uh, I can see that yours is coming along pretty well. Yeah, hey, man, you know, I, I don't know if it's coming along pretty well pretty well or not yet i just know i made a decision and i'm sticking with it well that's the first step right there yeah man. you know you just gotta one door closes and another door opens yeah no for sure and it's like making that decision like looking i, I would have not given myself like if someone came to me and said, yo, I'm thinking about doing this. That's not advice that I would have given them to do what I've done. And, of course, I didn't burn any bridges with anyone or anything like that, you know. 
But um, I don't know. It, it might be completely fucking stupid. Uh, but I just felt the need to do it. I just knew that moving forward for myself, I was not going to be able to mentally, physically, or emotionally maintain the high level that I want to perform at. For these people that, that bring me into their their art, you know what I mean? It, it's their, their souls being expressed. And I just started feeling like I don't have the emotional bandwidth right now to be able to to spread myself across all of these projects and when that started happening I also asked myself alternatively like what what would I want to do and I was like well I've been avoiding being a solo artist for a really long time I never really imagined myself being uh, a solo artist ever you know when I when I first started playing music I, I've always been a bass player and then from the time that I was 18 on, I was always just the bass player in bands. And I started writing songs when I was about 19 or 20. I got an iPad mini. And that little, uh, that little thing right there, it's a uh, thing that you can, an interface you can plug into an iPad. Oh, cool. So I was able to start recording myself and I would just use the drums on GarageBand and write all these songs and when I was writing them, I always imagined it would be someone else singing them, like my buddy Kurt. I, I played with him down in Florida when I was 18. I played in his band for about six months. And, um, you know, long term, that, that wasn't really a realistic thing for me to want because uh, we just had so many miles between us. He's living up in New York now. He's a very talented artist. He's the greatest songwriter I've ever met. But he... Um, I'd always sent him these demos like back and forth and he would give me like tips and pointers on how they were sounding. Mm -hmm. And over time that really shaped my, uh, my songwriting. Cause I was really just doing it with the, the honest intention of, of just writing. And I started going through all these songs and realizing, damn, I probably have like 20 or 30 songs that I could pick from for a solo album. Um, and I, I don't even, I've never even like sang live before. I have with like an acoustic guitar, but that's something I want to get back to as well. I want to start doing writer's rounds and start back down at the bottom of the mountain. I think that's awesome, man. You, you've taken a leap and you're going for it. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like I've played every other hand that I've had. And, like, the bass hand is a good hand, but it might not always be the winning card, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to know now which which one is, yeah, you know? absolutely. I mean, just to play devil's advocate, I mean, it could... Pl- it could completely not work out yeah. doing your solo stuff. 100%. I hope that doesn't happen, of course. No. I want you yeah. to be successful. For but sure. you've got to learn through trial and error, for sure. Well, yes, 100%. Uh, I jumped into this decision knowing that it could completely blow up in my face. Yeah. And I'm prepared to deal with whatever the consequences are of that. Well, that's all that matters, man. You've got to... You've got to take a risk. Most people aren't 
you know, willing to do that. And I think that's admirable. There's people who it's, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's hard to walk away from things. And we've talked about this when things are going well, most, I don't know, level headed people wouldn't walk away from something that's going well for them. Um, but to take projects that are, that are doing well and you're already successful at, uh, to some respect at least, you know, to walk away from that to do your own thing, it, it takes guts, man. Yeah, man. I, I mean, I appreciate it. I, I think it, it really comes down to just brazen stupidity in, in, a, in some <laughs> way, you know, because it's like when things are just going along, when I'm on a path, I realized, too, that I was on an autopilot path. And if I felt that way, I didn't want to continue going down that path because I, I felt like I was disrespecting the art and the music, you know what I mean? And not to say I didn't give anything less than my, my best, but I just got into this cycle of wake up, drive, come home, practice real quick, go to rehearsal, try to sleep. Um, and then wake up, drive, go to the show. You know what I mean? And it was, it just started taking a lot out of me. Um, and I'm lucky, I'm lucky to be able to do all this shit. I really fucking am. I mean, if I was to show the 15 year old me the past year of my life, you would be freaking the fuck out. The, the fact that I'm playing with a, a band like the Weird Sisters. Like, if I would have heard the Weird Sisters when I was in high school, I would have wanted to be a part of it. You know, and I, I was. You know, I'm a hired gun for them, but it, it, it's an extreme honor to play with them because they write great songs, and their musicianship is just out of this fucking world. They've They're got badass. chops for oh, days. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, I love the Weird Sisters. They're some of my favorite local artists to see here in Nashville, by far. Yeah, you came out to our show at the Dive Motel a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I did. And it was fun as fuck. I mean, we sound good. You know, I, I have great chemistry as, as friends with Gabby and Isaac, but also musically, we're just traveling on the same wavelength because they like groove and soul and all that stuff. But they also have chops as musicians, like nasty, nasty chops. Yeah, for sure. And you can tell that they know what they're doing. I think we talked about that. There was a little bit of like too much bass in that room in particular. And I could kind of see everyone adjusting accordingly. Oh, I mean, yeah. you guys weren't on a stage or anything. So, no, you no. know, you guys were just in the corner of <laughs> yeah. a room, which was dope. But it's like, you know. It's it's not set up to be the most, uh, you know, pleasant-sounding room. Well, plus the Weird Sisters, too, they have a very different live setup than most bands. Oh, for sure. Because one of the lead instruments in that band is Gabby's, like, keys bass. So, and she does, like, this synth bass thing that's really cool. So, if and this is not a, a slight uh, the sound mixer or anything like that, but like if you're unfamiliar with having that much bass frequency, because it's happened to us a couple times yeah. when we've played shows, and I'm aware of it going into it, it's, it's always like, okay, well, the sound guy understand that Gabby and I are both like playing and how to handle that. Right. The space gets crowded. Exactly. Yeah. 
So a lot of that can be circumvented with just the way that I'm playing and responding to what Gabby does. But another part of it is, is like the live sound too. And again, that's, that's not to, to knock anybody. It's just, uh, it's an unusual setup that they have. Definitely for sure. But it's, it's a powerful setup. I mean, weird sisters, you can hear like their recordings are great, but when you experience them live, it's a whole other thing. Oh yeah. When they come out in their fucking outfits and they're wearing all their shit, it's just, it's, there's, there's no one else really like them in Nashville. It, it, every time they play, it feels like an event. Oh, yeah, it, it is an event, for sure. I don't think I've ever gone to a Weird Sisters show where there's not, if it's not a completely packed house, it's pretty damn close. They got a following. Honest. And what's crazy, too, it's hard in a town full of musicians to make that happen. Yeah. But... Everybody knows that they're the real fucking deal. They're, they're seen as, like, the best in the East Nashville, seen by a lot of people. Yeah, we'll know what it is, and I think, I think we've talked about this. I say it all the time is that Nashville is a town of great musicians, but not a lot of great bands, and they're the exception to that rule. They're, I mean, they're great individual musicians as well, yeah. but they are a great band. There's not – you can't really name that many – and, and I'm not saying that to knock the many bands in Nashville, but there are few bands that really stand the test of time who are around and relevant for more than a couple years in Nashville because so many people come in and out and they travel and they tour and they get their, their start here. And so it's really hard, I feel like, for bands to really make a, a name for themselves in Nashville. Yeah. And the Weird Sisters have, have done it. No, they, they have, you know, and I, I think so much of it has to do with just who they are as a people, you know, I really, because being friends with them for, for this long, you know, I, I always kind of saw the, the inner workings of the band and understood what it is that their mission is. But before anything, I feel like I'm a, a fan, first and foremost, and it's like I was telling Gabby one time, I was like, really? The Weird Sisters has like two or three kinds of songs. They have like the funny 420, 69 style songs. Mm -hmm. And then they have songs where Isaac is kind of getting deep on shit. Um, and then they, they have, <laughs> I, I don't want to reveal a title for a new song on this podcast, but they have one. It's, it's funny as fuck. And uh, they just, they can rock. Can we get a hint? When you, when, <laughs> I, I, I don't, don't want to push too hard. I don't want to give it away. I'll tell you off, off mic. Okay, that's fair. But when I tell you, you're going to be like, oh, of course that's what they would name a song. <laughs> nice. But yeah, they're truly, um, they're truly special, you know? And then I've had the, the privilege of getting to play with Violet Moons, with Aubrey and Kiera, and I... It's amazing to kind of watch them grow in the time that I've known them, both in different ways. Um, they're really both coming out of their their shell, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, as performers and as songwriters, and I feel like their friendship really empowers their music, and that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. No, I, you know what? It's funny you mentioned that because I was thinking about that being over there the other day. And this is just me. I, I admire it because 
honestly, I could not live with someone that I'm in a band with. I couldn't be around anyone that much. And the fact that they remain such good friends and they rehearse together and live together and do shows together. They love each other. I, dude. No, I mean, like I said, I'm not saying it to bash it. I'm, I want to know how they do it because yeah. I can't be around anyone that much yeah, and not want to tear their head off. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really cool to see, um, how they've grown, you know, and Kiera, it's interesting to have watched her too, because when she moved to Nashville, I think she had a secret dream in her heart of always being a musician, but it was something that she never expressed like out to the world. Yeah. So I remember when she first started posting videos of her singing and I was like, you're really good. You should, you should try and do this. And eventually, you know, Aubrey and Kira moved in together and the rest is history. Um, but they're, they're incredible songwriters and watching the way that they kind of work. It's almost like this, uh, this telekinesis, like this emotional telekinesis, seeing the way that they function with one another. It, it, it's, it's like they sing a certain note or they have a certain look in their eye. The other one just intuitively knows. Yeah. They're, they're connected. Yeah. They're. Yeah, it's it's special. And then, of course, with Josh, you know, I play with James and Josh in uh, in Violet Moons and sometimes Mike Raseal whenever he plays drums. But I play with them in Norfleet as well. And Josh is he, he's one of my best friends. You know, we have we have a real tight relationship and he's kind of. You can always call Josh and talk to him about anything, and he's not going to judge you. Yeah, that's true. He's going to listen. Yeah, I I love Josh. I mean, I was I was hanging out with him last night, and uh, we were out a little bit later than I wanted to. But to be honest, this is just funny, and I'm not trying to uh, <laughs> I'm not trying to give him shit, especially not on the podcast. But it was like three in the morning, and I had like dozed off on the couch. And I kind of got up and, like, checked my phone and realized it was 3 in the morning and we were still out and I wasn't, like, at home in my bed. And uh, Josh and Greg were, like, talking about something. I don't even remember what they were talking about because I was kind of coming in and out of sleep. And and Greg comes over and he's like, hey, do you want to go? And I'm like, literally any time, man. Like, I've been asleep, basically. And Josh is like, cool, yeah, and we're going to go. Let me just tell this one story. And I, I, I let him tell one story. Was he drunk? Uh, we were all a little drunk. That's why I was kind of coming in and out, too. I'll admit that. But uh, um, he told his one story, and then someone, like, told another story in response. And then he was going to tell another story, and I just had to cut in. And I was like, hey, we can have this conversation in the car. Like we, you can tell me and Greg the story in the car. I was just like, you were done. I was done, man. It was, it was like three 15 in the morning. I think we got there like a little bit before midnight. So I was in and out of sleep on the couch for like three hours. Pretty much. Like, (laughs) like so much of, of my friendship with Josh 
like uh, the, those. It was in those prime castle times. You know what I'm saying? Like the because there were so many of those conversations that would happen at the castle where you were just up until 4 a.m. sitting on the couch. Oh yeah, all the time. And you lived at the castle for a time. I did. Yes, for about right at the very end for the final six months. The grand finale. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a good way to put it. But uh, but yeah, no, I love hanging out with Josh, and when he gets drunk, you get a very uh, you get a very honest side of Josh, which is always great. Yeah. Um, but it's it's funny. We always have a good time. So I love hanging out with him. Um, we went and saw Hippies and Cowboys last night at the Cobra. That was a great show. I saw some videos from that. They're a good band. Yeah, they are, for sure. I want to say that may have only been the second time that I've seen like a full original set from them. I've seen them downtown, but uh, not very often do I get to see like just all originals from them. I was I was very impressed. It was good. Yeah, I, I never heard any of their originals before. I just saw clips of them playing them on Instagram and I was I was impressed too. I mean, when you're a well-oiled machine like that that's playing down on Broadway, Multiple nights a week. It's hard not to be tied as a band when you're playing fucking four hours in a row. Absolutely, dude. And they had this uh, this saxophone player who was killing it. I don't I don't think he's like always in the band, but he was he was ripping it up. It was awesome. Fuck yeah, yeah. The Cobra is a great venue to see anybody at, especially that that front room. We did that show a couple weeks ago, Norfleet, and then Garden of Eden. Yeah. And Greg Max, right? Yep, Greg Max. Um, Greg Max is good as fuck, dude. I was really impressed with him. Yeah, man. It's really it's really easy to be lazy on the blues and just do subpar blues because I feel like most musicians can can play the blues decently. Yeah. Um, but man, he fucking does a superb job of yeah. playing the blues. No, for sure. What I notice is just the attention to detail in their songs. Because it's like a blues trio, which again, it's super easy to phone that in, but to do it in a meaningful way, it was just real, you know? I, Definitely. I really dug him. Yeah, he's a good singer, too. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah, I was, I was impressed by them. Um, I hope to see more and more of them. Yeah, I would love to get... Um, get him on the podcast to talk about it. Cause I, I was blown away. Um, cause they, they had went on first and then we did the Norfleet set and Scotty in garden of Eden closed it out. And it was, a that was a fun night. Yeah, it definitely was. Uh, yeah, I, that was the first time I had booked anything on that front stage at Cobra, but I was impressed. I mean, the sounds good. You get a lot of people who are just hanging out in the bar. Yep. And it's a good time. I I pr- prefer it to the uh, the back room. I personally. do as well, just because like if you go to the back room, the show starts at eight, and if you're the headlining band, you don't go on until fucking eleven. Yeah. What I didn't know though was that they book both rooms at the same time, so that threw me off. I remember I was on my way that night, and I saw who was playing there. Um, some other band. I think Echo I'm, Pilot was playing. Yes, it was Echo Pilot, and I think another band that I'm familiar with. And I, for a moment, I kind of felt bad. Or, well, at first, it was confusion because I was like, "Wait a second, did we get double booked?" 
And then I was like, oh, yeah, they have another stage. But then I was also kind of like, well, fuck, I like those guys, too. Like, I don't want to be stealing their crowd. You yeah, know? no, it's it's funny because, um, like, go, like I, I started seeing a bunch of people that I, I knew, and I thought that they had seen, like, an Instagram post of us posting on it. But there was, like, Josh and Felicia, Felicia from Year of October were there, so I figured James had probably told them about that. They didn't even know we were playing that night. They came out, and they were like, oh, shit. Yeah, they were there to see Echo Pilot. Yeah, they were there to see Echo Pilot. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't know. Not to... I mean, I get it. It's a bar. They're trying to make as much money as possible. I don't love it. Um, I'm not going to go into all the details of, you know, whether it's right or wrong or whatever, but I, I'm not a fan of it, to be honest with you. One thing is for sure, I smelled like cigarettes. Oh. oh, yeah. I felt that way last night. It was funny. Someone said something to me because uh, I'll admit, you know, when I get a little drunk, I, I like to smoke a cigarette here and there. But I... Uh, drunk cigs don't count. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Tell that to the doctor. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I was smoking one and I went to go step outside and someone said to me, they were like, you know you can smoke inside. And I was like, I know. I just want to actually have a little bit of oxygen in between the puffs of cigarettes you know so and their their back patio has gotten pretty nice they uh they fixed it up yeah they put like new gravel back there there's a lot of like nice uh they actually have i don't know if they just leave them out there i would hope not but they have like some nice couches out there they're uncovered so they have to probably bring them in at some point speaking of nice back patios have you seen the new like game terminal what they've done back there have you been to game terminal before i have i was there i want to say it was probably last maybe like august or september so uh when did they open do you know i'm not trying to put you on the spot i just don't remember no no they they i think they opened during the pandemic okay yeah that sounds right um but i went there last year uh, I want to say probably end of summer, and uh, I I remember them having like a big back patio with like um, different games and stuff that you could do. Mm-hmm. And don't they have like barbecues back there and shit too? Or am I um, am I well, imagining that? I, I don't know if they have barbecues back there. When I went there a couple of weeks ago, it was I actually went there with uh, with Josh Aubrey and Greg. Oh, cool. After a show I played, a house show, and there was, um, like, these igloo tents, these clear igloo tents, because it was still kind of cold, so people were going in there to, like, hang out and chill and shit. Oh, very cool. But I, I love that place. It's such a cool vibe. Plus, um, I'm a geek when it comes to pinball. I love pinball. Nice. Now, don't correct me if I'm wrong. You Pinball is one of the things that you do have to pay for there, right? Yes, correct. Okay. Yeah, you have to get uh, tokens. Okay. And they have they have a bunch of free games in the middle. Yeah, I remember that. And um, it, it's just like a cool vibe, you know. Uh, I love like all sorts of pinball machines. I like all the old like spooky themed ones, mm-hmm. like Adam's Family or the Elvira one or the Munsters. Yeah. They, they have so many different kinds there. They have like Led Zeppelin. It's a bunch of a bunch of cool shit. Yeah, no, it's huge. I couldn't believe it the first time I went there. I was like, 
you know, because I've been to, um, what's the one on, I think it's on 2nd Avenue downtown. They have a uh, barcade, is that, or it's, uh, uh, it's or uh, HQ. HQ, yeah. HQ, that's what it was. Um, and that's a cool place, but it's not very big in comparison. And I just remember going uh, going there and being like, wow, this is this is huge. Yeah, it's it's a cool idea Massive. for a bar. Yeah, it's a it's an original idea. I, th- I think it's genius. I I love going there. It's, it's one of my favorite spots in in Nashville. I've I've taken a few uh, like dates there, and I always tell them, look, I promise I'm not about to serial murder you behind a wa- warehouse because you're <laughs> driving there, and it's like you're in this industrial area. Yeah, and there's true. nothing else around, and it it looks super sketch until you pull into the parking lot. Yeah, that's the south side of Nashville for you. Oh yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's interesting in Nashville at times. That's for sure. I remember the first time I went to uh, what was it? Little Harpeth is kind of in a. Do you remember Little Harpeth Brewery? Have you been there? I haven't been there. I know what it is though. It's kind of the same thing. It's in like a kind of industrial looking area of town, and you're kind of like, are you are you taking me to a warehouse? But what's cool about Little Harpeth is it is actually a warehouse, but it's but it's a brewery. Is is that down close to Brentwood? I'll be honest with you. I was in a car with someone else who was driving, and I was already very drunk the <laughs> one time that I was there, so I couldn't really tell you, to be honest. But I do remember being kind of like what you said. I was like, where the fuck are you guys taking me? Like... Am I about to get whacked or something? Yeah. And uh, and then I walked in and I was like, oh, this is dope. They have like barrels of of beer everywhere. Well, not barrels, but you know, like big ass things of beer yeah. all over the place. Um, they used to do kick ass shows there, but they don't anymore. For as far as I know, I saw a video of Marcus King playing there one time. How long ago? Do you know? This has got to be a year ago, over a year ago. I think it was around the time he released his uh, his album that he did with Dan Auerbach. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense because I actually emailed them uh, around the time everything started opening back up, and they said that they were not doing shows anymore. Little Harpeth? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I, I always heard kind of mixed reviews on the sound there. Like, sometimes the shows would be fine, and other times it would be kind of shitty like the sound would just because the the space itself yeah it's like literally a warehouse you know i will straight up tell you right now i will put my name on it as to who has the worst sound in nashville oh no i'm calling him out bastion have you ever seen a show there no i've never even heard of it so it's a restaurant that's over by like wedgwood houston and i played a show there with dustin sellers uh, this was another band that James and I were in. Mm-hmm. And they had, like, we have a high ceiling in our house. It was probably triple this. Oh, shit. Wow. And then the stage was in this corner, and there were these, like, tiered off steps that you stacked your amps on, and then the drums sat above everything. Oh, no. So it was a sonic nightmare, dude. Like, I could not hear vocals. I could hear James, and that was about it. And I don't even think James could hear me. Because the, the sound just goes fucking up. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. 
it was horrible. Things were feeding back, just shit like that. They they should not have full band shows there. Wow. Yeah. Acoustic. That does sound terrible. Ma- maybe that would be okay. But it was horrible, dude. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I've never even heard of that place. Where Where is that place at? Do you know where Jackalope is? Uh, yes. Jackalope Brewing, like their yeah. their big location. Uh, that's not the one in East. No. Or, okay, because they do have a location in East, right? Um, don't I don't they? know if they. I know they have one close to the Gulch downtown. Or, they They might have one in in East. Okay, I might be confused. There's so many breweries. breweries. Yeah. I could be mixing it up with another one. Yeah, there's a ton of breweries in Nashville. They're all over the place. There's Southern Grist, and then I love Southern Grist. Bearded Iris. I've never been there, actually. Yeah, it's cool, too. There's a, And everywhere has fucking live music, for the most part. I can almost guarantee you that there is worse sound somewhere downtown. Yeah, you're probably I've right heard that. I've heard horror stories about... I'm not going to mention, you know, which bars, because I'm... It's secondhand information. It would be unfair for me to call yeah. bars out because I haven't actually played those stages. But I have heard from some of our mutual musician friends who play there, uh, who play down on Broadway frequently, that there are some bars who have shitty equipment. Well, you know, it's... And sound guys. Yeah. it Really, the whole hustle down there is that musicians are a dime a dozen. Yeah. Which... To a certain degree, I get where they're coming from business-wise. Because sure. they're not incorrect. Like, if someone moves here and they, they start to get frustrated with playing down on Broadway and they quit, there's five more people that will try to be taking their spot. Yeah. Because you're making, you're making money playing music. Yeah, it's Sweet Home Alabama and Jesse's Girl. But there are worse ways to make a living. It's true. There are worse ways to make a living, but... I mean, in the grand scheme of being a musician, I'm, I'm not saying that the people who do it shouldn't be proud of what they do. If you're a full-time Broadway musician, great, good on you. Yeah. But also, I mean, when we know this is very common information, it's easy to get stuck down there. You get maroons. Yeah, and I want to say most artists see it as a stepping stone. I don't know anyone who's like, I want to play on Broadway. That's what I want to do. I want to be the king or queen of Broadway. There are some. Well, what I was, what I was, <laughs> <laughs> it's true, but is you, that, you know is what the, I'm referencing. It, I do. Is that legit though? Is the question. You know, I, I think it's admirable. I think it's admirable. And there, there's a lot of musicians, especially in the East Nashville scene that look down upon like Broadway musicians. See, I, I'm half and half. I think that if it's a stepping stone, then there's no reason to look down on it. I agree. I, I 100% agree. I, I, I definitely admire what they're, they're doing. Like uh, Scotty, for instance, he's out there fucking hustling. Man. Bingo, yeah. Um, and I hadn't seen, like that Cobra show, I hadn't seen Scotty play in a long time. And I saw him, and he just looked a million times. Like I probably saw Garden of Eden last time I saw them was pre-pandemic. Oh, wow. So, yeah. and that was my first time seeing them between, like, original sets, and it was really fucking good. Like, the showmanship was there, and yeah, he, uh, he's just, you can tell he's grown as a musician and taken it to another level. 
yeah, man, it's like the rock and roll trenches, you know? It is, <laughs> absolutely. No, and I, I think that's valuable training for a lot of musicians because uh, it, it's something that I still have a desire to try eventually just for the challenge of it, Yeah, of playing those four-hour shifts and doing all that shit because that seems fun. I, I think it would be a lot of fun to be playing like Sweet Child of Mine and yeah. Mr. Brightside and all that shit. Definitely. Yeah, I think uh, the one thing Scotty in particular actually brought up to me the other day, and I had never really given this a lot of thought, but he told me, he was like, you know, if we ever do get to the point where we're playing like on a national tour or something like that, he was like, playing for two hours is going to be nothing to us now. And that is, I think, one of the biggest values that musicians can get from Broadway is the stamina because yeah. you play for four hours and there's no tour worldwide touring musical professional who has to get up on stage and play for four hours straight. No. And you know, you basically do it for what's considered chump change in the grand scheme of things on Broadway. And I'm not saying that as a, a demeaning thing. Good change. I'm, if you're a, a musician though. Sure, yeah, especially in Nashville. I mean, it's it's tough here. It's really hard to get paying gigs. So those are some of the best paying gigs in town. I'm just saying on the larger scale, you Absolutely. know, of being a musician, a couple hundred bucks is nothing compared to, you know, Aerosmith who probably jumps on stage and makes, you know, a couple hundred K to play for two, maybe two and a half hours tops, you know. Greatest hit set. You, oh, you're playing a greatest hit set when you do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But they're not any longer. I would say three hours tops. I once saw a a Green Day concert that was a live video concert, and they usually go all out for these live video concerts. And I was there, for, and they told us at the ahead of time they were like, "This is gonna, we're gonna make this a kick ass show because it's all gonna be on video. It's a live video concert, or well, not live, but it's a video." Was it, it, it was oh, live for me. Was know? it one of those iHeartMedia? I was too young to actually be paying attention to that, to be honest. I was, I didn't care, man. I think it was, I, I don't even think I was a freshman in high school yet. I think I was, it was the summer between eighth grade and freshman year for me, I think. I might was have even been ba- young. In Vegas? So I lived in Vegas, but it was in, uh, I think it was in Phoenix. If oh, I'm not shit, mistaken. okay. Yeah, um, I drove out there to go see it and uh and yeah it was an incredible concert but i i want to say it was three hours tops i don't think it was any longer than that green day is a great live band oh yeah they kill it man though people honestly don't really believe it but i would say still to this day if we're talking about performance they that was probably the best performance i've ever seen in my life they put on a show i saw them Maybe in two thousand eight or two thousand nine, at the uh, the Boston Garden, and the Bravery opened for them, and I was a huge fan of the Bravery growing up as well. But um, this was right after they had released their album Twenty First Century Breakdown. Oh, it's a good album, yeah. It was incredible, dude. I mean, it was. They were my favorite band in high school. It was probably them or My Chemical Romance. Oh yeah. Them too. Which I saw them in in high school as well. But 
Yeah, Green Day killed it. They had pyrotechnics, you know, Billy Joe Armstrong. He, he's just a great front man. He is. A yeah. lot of people love to, like, make fun of Green Day, but they write good songs, dude. Like, if you go through their discography, it's, it's pretty fucking impressive for the most part. It's true, and they're the real fucking deal, man. Like, most people don't know this, but Green Day was already playing to thousands of people before they got signed. I didn't know that. You didn't? No. Dude, no, they were doing it. They were kind of, they were like what Wolfpack is. Not to that extreme. They did eventually get signed. But, dude, they were already going on tour and doing lining shit up for their on their own and playing in front of large crowds prior to getting signed. And they were they were kicking ass. And then finally someone came along. Now, of course, I'm giving a very, you know, broken down version of it but um but they were go-getters man they didn't they weren't waiting around to get signed and they didn't you know they didn't get picked up at an early level they were they were doing it themselves and then finally someone came along and was like fuck how has no one picked these guys up yet that's one of my early uh musical memories is green day um like the basket case video being like five or six and seeing that and seeing the When I Come Around video and Good Riddance and all of that. Music videos used to be a thing, and that's not really a fucking thing anymore. Yeah, it's true. I miss, uh, well, you know, MTV. Yeah. <laughs> we got well, fucked out of MTV, man. Uh, VH1, too. That was the, the other one. Um, they had pop-up video. Do you remember that? I don't know. Not that in particular. I'm, I remember VH1, but not pop-up video. So VH1 was kind of more of the adult contemporary MTV. Like VH1, every morning I would wake up before school and watch music videos. And they were playing like She Will Be Loved okay, nice. by Maroon 5. And like the pop-up video thing was there would be facts like pop up on the screen mm-hmm. while the video was happening and it'd be like they had to do like 10 takes of this because the singer kept laughing oh, um, nice. when he was supposed to be crying or they recorded this song um, in Malibu with Rick Rubin whatever whatever the fact was yeah so pop pop-up video was like the original Wikipedia for for music see I wish they would do that still yeah. I wish there was something because I think all that shit's interesting. I love music trivia, you know. Just, I do too. Just facts and, you know, like I remember one time I was, and this is a little off topic, but I was talking to uh, someone about how in the song uh, Whole Lot of Love, the part where Robert Plant's like, way down inside, and you can hear, you can kind of hear it in the background. You know what part I'm talking about? I do. And I was talking to someone and I was like, did, what, what, did they use an echo effect? Or, I mean, think about when it was recorded. Like, did they even have the ability to do that shit, really? Um, to that extent, you know? And I was like, there's no way. And so I looked it up, and it's actually bleed from the uh, John Bonham's mic or John Bonham's headphones from the drum track. Oh, shit. And the engineer didn't catch it until Led Zeppelin had already, like, flown somewhere else, like, to another country. And so they called him up and were like, hey, you know, there's bleed from 
the drum micro or the drum the drummer's headphones into the main track you know and it's you know it's there there's really no re- no way to get rid of it and they were just like we're not coming back to record it just leave it in there dude you know what nashville is so fucking anti-bleed <laughs> yeah well with all the technology now you know you can just you can just uh get rid of that shit i love it I like it. I like hearing those things in recordings. I, I like way more. And I've been very lucky um, in my recording career so far because I've always gotten to record at nice studios. Blackbird, Dark Horse, um, the tracking room when it was still opened. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten to do all sorts of shit, and it's been great. But it's too clean and too perfect. I want a place that's fucked up. I want a place <laughs> where... Uh, you can only do so many takes because it's like the AC doesn't work. And you want to record in a basement. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I, I want I want like a fucking, a place that you have a lot of limitations and that you're experiencing some kind of shared misery or adversity. Well, I mean, you could argue that that's how it should be, man. I mean, there's, it's mostly, you know, the baby boomer musicians who say it, but they say that our generation of musicians are pampered because we have so much technology that you don't really have to be that good to go in the studio anymore. They can make anyone sound good. I think there's truth to it, but I don't, I don't think it's fully true. I think there's incredible musicians in our generation, but I mean, there's something to be said there, I think. Absolutely. You know, uh, and I've known it no other way, but just looking at what I've, um, even learning bass, I can look up YouTube videos of a band I really liked playing music live, like let's say Green Day for instance, and watch how they fucking actually, like Mike Dern actually played the song on bass, and like this is what the tab says, but he's not doing that, he's hitting this note here or something like that. And I was able to see that, and then that developed my ear further because then I was able to hear those notes that I wasn't able to hear before. Right. Yeah, no, I think... uh, Wait, so are you saying that the technology has helped you? Is that... Absolutely, it's helped me. But do you think that... Do you think it's a crutch for people to not be able to play like all the way through in a recording uh session. yeah I, I i definitely think that's that's a thing i i think like with anything there's a there's a double-edged sword with technology and music yeah. i like it more than i dislike it um in some ways like it, it's like for something like that being able to learn music and look it up and hear interviews with bands talking about it or even finding footage of like I don't know, John Entwistle talking about how he plays bass and, like, what his methods are wouldn't have been possible 35 years ago, 30 years ago. Right. And now we have the privilege of doing that. It's like, oh, okay, so he's saying that he palm mutes here on this part and he talks about having this kind of technique or whatever, which there's something to be said for just hearing it and figuring that out along the way, but... Again, I haven't known it any other way, so I tried to soak up as much information 
as I could. So let me ask you this. Do you think that that contributes to the oversaturation of people trying to become musicians because now that information is available to everyone? Uh, yeah, I, I think that's part of it. You know, I, I think technology makes it so easy to release your own music that it's easy to get buried in, in the mix. You know, like releasing this song I'm about to release, um, I don't really know how to get people to listen to it other than to play it on the podcast. I know people will hear it that way. But other than that, you just kind of get lost in the shuffle. And artists today, this is both, uh, again, a, a good thing and a bad thing. You are your own management. You're your own booking. Um, you're your own social media consultant. And, of course, you can hire people to do those things for you. But do you have the budget to be able to do that? Yeah, or even the content. Or the content. But the beauty of today is you can just go and make that content now. You can, you can figure it out. Like Gary Vaynerchuk talks a lot about this. He's like, it doesn't matter if your shit's bad or good. Just start putting something out. That's true, but... I don't know. I find this a lot with my businesses is that, you know, a lot of times I'm so busy trying to, you know, actually do things that will make the money that I oftentimes, and I know that there are people who make money off of making content. So I'm not saying that it's impossible. And, but it's a I, rarity. It's a rarity for sure. And I find with my own stuff that it's, you know, it's a struggle. It's often like feeding an endless fire, like creating content to just feed this this fire of, you know, promotion and, you know, social media and stuff like that. It's like sometimes I get overwhelmed. I'm like, who has time to make a video or make a recording or take a picture of you doing something interesting you know, who has who has that much fucking time to do all that? No, I I agree. And it's like I don't necessarily feel like I'm good at the social media thing or enjoy it. Truthfully, I wouldn't probably have any social media unless it was for the fact that I do music and I do this podcast. Yeah. Um, which, I'm again, I think social media is a great thing. At, at the end of the day, I see it as more of a positive than a negative, and there, there's people all over ripping on it. Ironically, on whatever platform they're ripping on they're also right. using to post yeah it's true um but you know that's the human condition though of course yeah i'm still not on tiktok and i have been getting mixed reviews from people some people say you need to get on tiktok because you know you're gonna see so much and you could contribute so much and it's a great way to get your shit out there and then I hear other people say, don't do it. You're going to just get sucked in. That, that is, both those are true. Yeah. Like, uh, TikTok is great because it has the most democratized algorithm out of all the social media platforms. I believe it. That's what I kind of understood by what most people say. But it's easy to get down a rabbit hole of TikTok because, like, my TikTok feed is just like cats and Legos 
and titties huh, and nice you know um so it's you could you could easily waste hours right on end on tiktok and it's it's like if youtube is cocaine then tiktok is crack oh no i don't know if i can handle it because it's these short spurts. I think now the videos are like three minutes long or something like that. You can do like a max three-minute video. Mm-hmm. And it's cool, but you have to put limitations on yourself in order to be productive. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't. But I, uh, I hear that that's a great way because of what you said, that it's the most democratized algorithm that it's uh, – you know, it's not uncommon for someone who just creates a TikTok to post a video of them doing something creative and then 100,000 people watch it. You know? Yeah, and I don't – that's what's hard today because it's like in order to, for your music to be out to the world, you have to be able to do that stuff. And there's one side of me where I'm like – I'm just not interested in constantly fucking posting. I'll go through phases and cycles yeah. of getting, of like posting shit. And I'm about to start posting more shit, of course, because I have this single coming out. So I have to get shit out to the world. But who knows? There, there's really no answer for the, the way to manage a music career today. It's, it's so individually based. And it kind of always has been, but at least you had a record label back then backing you. And again, that's not necessarily a good thing either. How many horror stories are there? Right. From the Rolling Stones to David Bowie to a- anybody that was big pretty much at the dawn of, uh, of pop music who say it was a bad deal. Yeah. Bad deal. Yeah, it's a loan. You know, it's just a, it's equivalent to being 18 and going to college, you know. Not, I went to college, you know, I'm not, <laughs> so I'm, I'm not talking shit, you know, but I am also kind of talking shit. <laughs> no, I agree. I, um, I didn't go to college, but I knew I wanted to be a musician and I was like, I could go to music school. I applied to one school and got in, but I didn't know how I was going to pay for any of like, the idea of getting a loan, I was like, get a loan? Who's going to give me a loan? I didn't think I would even get one. Oh, they'll give you one. Yeah. <laughs> and I was ignorant to that, fortunately. That's good. Yeah. I was like, lucky. I was like, I'm poor. And, uh, like, I come from a working class family. Um, and my parents aren't going to pay for this. So, this is not the best option for me. Smart. So, I got to work. Yeah. And I'm not, look, I'm, I'm actually very happy that I went to college. I got a lot of value from it. And I use some of the skills that I learned in college um, in my everyday life. This is what I say, and, and I actually do believe this. I think that, um, and some people think that this is a little blunt, but I think what college teaches those who don't already know how to do it is it teaches you how to do the same thing every day over and over and over without wanting to kill yourself. Um, I do actually believe that. Or you might want to kill yourself and you just suffer through it. 
Yeah, but I mean that's life, man. I mean you're not al- you're not always gonna want to do get out of bed and and move forward. But the truth is, is if you do something for four years slowly but sure, four years is a long time, man. College Especially took me at almost that six. Age. Yeah, yeah, and college took me almost six. And yes, exactly. I think that's the key is what you just said is the age, because there you're so. Um, it's so easy to be influenced when you're in that 18 to 22 or even 25. Oh, we'll say 18 to 25. It's such a, um, it's such your, your brain is still, I mean, they say your brain develops till you're like 90, whatever, but you're still like, you're going from being a literal child to being an adult and it's easy to influence you and it's easy to fall into the wrong you know, onto the wrong path. And, um, it's easy to get, you know, and misguided by idiots or just your own bad decisions, whatever. But I think that the benefit, a lot of people, and I'll, I'll include myself in this is that when you have to work every day towards something and no one's really watching you or making you do it, I think that's also another key in high school. Yeah. In high school, everyone's like, you're going to be a piece of shit if you don't finish high school, blah, 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 blah. You're going to be flipping burgers. Now they, there's not enough people to flip burgers, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, you know, everyone's down your throat in high school. Like, I'm sorry, and, and I'm sorry if there's people who are listening who, like, don't, who haven't graduated high school. If you don't graduate high school, it's your own fucking fault, honestly. There's, it's easy. It, it's, yeah, there's, everything is set up for you to succeed, you have to really, like, actively not try. And, like, I know people who don't remember anything from high school yeah, who I'm have high school them. degrees. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would consider myself close to that as well. I know people who shouldn't have graduated high school that definitely did graduate high I, school. I am also one of those, too. <laughs> really? Yeah. I would never guess that. Yeah, I was, I was a really bad student. I hated school and... There was a lot of things going on in like my home life that wasn't good, mm-hmm. so that was definitely a part of it. But I hated. Um, I just knew that I wanted to be uh, a musician, and every, not every teacher, but a lot of teachers tried to convince me out of it, and they they said I was smart and I didn't apply myself and all that shit, which was true. It was it was absolutely true. I didn't I didn't apply myself at all. But I got to be like two weeks away from graduation. Yeah. And they, like, you have to pass English all four years in order to graduate. And I was failing English, like, two weeks away from graduation. So this oh, was shit. at the point when seniors had already, like, left school. So no, no one was even hanging out around school or anything like that. I had missed, and th- I was, like, horribly fucking, like, suicidally depressed my senior year. Oh, I had missed, like, half the days. Oh, damn. Yeah. Um, That'll do it, man. Yeah. And I just didn't give a fuck at that point because I had no hope for a future in my mind. Like, everybody was going to college, and I was like, I just got to work and fucking go out into the adult world or go out into the, the world. And that was really honestly a strength, though, of just, like, jumping headfirst into shit. Yeah. Because I was always the youngest person wherever I went in professional situations. 
Now I'm on the other side of that. I'm no longer the youngest person in the room. I'm not the oldest person in the room. No. But I'm not the youngest. I'm right in the middle now. Yeah. Which isn't a bad thing. Um, But I I think, to me, it sounds like you already had the ability, though, even though you may not have thought about it and applied it towards high school. But it sounds like going into the real world, you had the ability to, you know, apply yourself and work on things little by little. Yeah, no, I I did. I mean, my first job was at a recording studio when I was 15. Yeah. So I was was very fucking lucky, man. I I look back at, at shit like that. Like, I moved in next door to this guy. His name was Taylor Mesplay. And he owned a recording studio and a live venue. And he was my next door neighbor, and he was making a full-time living off of music. Cool. Nice. So seeing that at a young age was very influential. And then my senior year is when I met this guy, Matt Fogg, who I've, I've had on the podcast and I've talked about him before. But he basically taught me how to be a good bass player. And what, what he explained to me and showed me um, – what it was like to be a working musician because he was also making, that was his full-time living was music. He owned a music school and in the summers he would teach in a wedding or he would play in a wedding band that he ran. And like the wedding industry is gigantic in Maine. Like a lot of rich people from Boston and New York. Really? Yeah. They go to Maine to have like their kids have weddings there and shit. And it's a, a big deal. Cool. So there was two adults in my, my teen years that was like, yeah, you can do this. But they both said, it's not easy. It's true. They weren't lying. No. So I knew that even going into it. And I was lucky to, uh, to have that. And my dad's always been very supportive and encouraging of the music thing. Um, he had told me, you know, just figure out how to get paid yeah. if you want to do it establish and maintain a cash yeah flow. right yeah my dad he he still wonders that sometimes he's like so uh sounds like a great idea that you have but uh how are you gonna make money and i'm like i'm working on that part dad yeah it's hard dude i mean i don't know like i look at my life now and I don't know anything else I would rather do other than the life that I, I've been living. And, of course, I'm modifying it as I go. But most people, if they pick a career by age 30, they're already in a – they're on a path. You know what I mean? And for, for better or worse now, I'm on a path. And there's, there's no going back. Um, not that I would want to. But it gets harder the older that you get. I feel the decisions that I make now at the age of 30. I felt them at 22 as well. But you're too dumb to know. Yeah. Ain't that the truth? I was just too stupid. I was just, uh, I was just like, yeah, I'm going to move across the country and see what happens. Now, doing something like that, I would be open to doing something like that. But I understand everything it takes to make it actually happen. Yeah, that's important, man. I It's funny, and this is true. I actually got a call from a friend earlier who lives in, um, he lives in North Dakota. He's a childhood friend. I've known him since, man, I think I was 12 years old. 
Damn. And um, he calls me up today, and he tells me that he's in a kind of a rough spot, and um, not to divulge too much, but he uh, he has a child, and he's paying child support. He's younger than me, too. Tough. It is tough. And he calls me up, and he tells me he's just, you know, he's just going through it and just kind of done with the situation that he's in. And we had talked, I've told him over the last couple of years, you know, hey, come and visit Nashville. Nashville's a great place to come visit. You've always got a place to stay at my house. And, you know, if you need a little bit of work on the side, you know, while you're here, I can, I can provide a little bit of work. That's one thing that I can always do. I can always put my friends to work. Yes, but, you can. <laughs> but um, so he calls me today, and I can tell he's, you know, Aside from what he's saying, I can hear by the tone of his voice that he's just not in a great spot. And he starts asking about if, you know, he sends me a deposit, if, you know, maybe we could work out a living situation. I was like, well, don't you want to come visit first? And he's like, man, I'm just so done with this. Like, I, I would just, I would just pay for you to, I would just pay you to like rent a room from you. And I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's back up here for a second. What's actually going on and he starts to tell me that you know he's having problems with his car he doesn't have a reliable vehicle and this and that and again all I'll mind you he's I want to say he's 23 24 something like that he's a couple years younger than me and I could tell he was in a really bad spot and he was on his lunch break so he didn't have a lot of time but he's telling me all this stuff and I I had to stop him I had to say hey man I understand that you're going through this and I'm always going to be your friend and I'm always here for you. But here's the truth. I was like, if your car is not working very well and you don't at least have minimum a thousand dollars saved up, you are going to have more trouble here in Nashville than you have there in, in, uh, North Dakota. You're just trading problems. Exactly. I And I, I said to him, I was like, look, man, I empathize with you, and I understand how appealing the fresh start sounds and all that stuff. Everyone, everyone talks about it. fresh start, new place, and it always sounds great. But, man, I told him. I was like, I was like Nashville's fucking expensive, dude. I was like, it's expensive to live here. Gas is, I mean, gas isn't cheap anywhere, but there's some areas it's it's four fifty yeah. a gallon here, you know, and you know, food's expensive. It's just not a cheap place to live. I mean, even you know, the cheapest room that you're gonna get is five fifty. You know what I mean? That's yeah. that's about as low as it gets here in Nashville. I'm, I mean, I'm sure there's something cheaper, but you know, for a decent room with some non predator guys you know uh that's about as good as it gets and so I told him I was like look man I'm always here for you but this is what you need if you want to come here I said if you want to come and visit and stay on my couch you've always got a place to come and visit for a mini vacation but do not pack up your shit and get in your car if you don't at least have this this and this in order yeah no I I did it um multiple times and it's true a fresh start is good 
but it wears off after about two or three months. Yeah. And I've learned that from personal experience. I lived in five states in five years from the ages of 18 to 23. Where all were they? So I was living, when I graduated high school, I moved down to Florida. I was prob- I was there for less than a year, maybe six or eight months. And then I had moved back to Maine because I had gotten my license. And I'm like, I bet I could get laid in Maine because uh-huh. I, I couldn't get laid in Florida. How? Bro, it was me. <laughs> it was me. It, it had nothing to do with, with the, the women or whatever I thought. Fair enough. Um, so moved back to, to Maine. I did eventually end up losing my virginity finally. Um, was in Maine for maybe a year or so, um, maybe a little bit over that, moved out to Colorado for a year, was, uh, was very introverted out there. It was, it was the first, I didn't really have the safety net I had when I moved to Florida cause my sister was there mm-hmm. and, um, our, the family friend I was talking about before Taylor Mesplay, his dad owns a very like famous guitar store called Wildwood Guitars. And so I was working there. Pretty much all I did was work for a year. I, I didn't really do anything other than go to work, go home at night, smoke weed, wake up, and then go to work again. So, and I was making like $10 an hour out there. Damn. And it's crazy to think that I survived that. Didn't have a car out there either. Really? Yeah. Okay. Did not have wow. a car in Colorado. I walked everywhere. I took the bus. Um. Moved back to Maine. I was there probably for two years. Got back home. Started working at Staples. uh, Stocking shelves. And then eventually I became an easy tech. And eventually that transitioned into working at BEK as an intern. Um, And then from there I became a salesman. So I had a skill. was like, okay. I... uh, and it's a whole long story of how I got to Nashville, but basically someone backed into my car, totaled it, and I got a couple of grand for it when it was only worth maybe like $300, $400. It no. was a horrible car. Oh, wow. You lucked out. Yeah, I lucked out, and I took the money and ran. Then I moved down to North Carolina where my dad was, stayed with him maybe about six or eight months because I was trying to get to Nashville and I was like, I'm going to try and do job interviews in Nashville. North Carolina is closer to Tennessee than Maine is. So my whole idea was there um, and was just like maroon there for a minute. I ended up working back at Target again. Was miserable. I hated Target. That's the worst company I've ever worked for. Really? By, 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 large amount you care to share why yeah they just don't fucking value you at all and i i had to work early so like i had to be to work at like 4 a.m oh shit yeah it's like some starbucks shit starbucks makes you get to work at like ungodly hours in the morning yeah if you work that morning shift yeah and you're in there you're making like 10 bucks an hour if you're fucking lucky yeah uh which is funny because so I had worked at um, at Target 
after I moved back from Florida. And I, I hated it so much. Eventually, I no-called, no-showed there. And we're just like, fuck you. I'm not working here anymore. I'm not doing this. I'm done. And I'm, I was done, dude. Um, and then I, uh, I had to go on a job interview at Target um, da- down in North Carolina. And they interviewed me. And they're like, I, I always, I'm good at fucking interviews. And they're like, they know, they said, uh, do not hire. Do you know why that is? And I was like, no idea. And they hired me, bro. They hired oh. me a second time. And then nice. I knew I was moving to Nashville. I locked down a job and figured everything out. And then I no-called, no-showed then, too. Oh, wow. I get, hated Target. Get fucked, Target. Yeah, get fucked. I like shopping there. <laughs> I'm cool with shopping there. But I know the people who work there are miserable. Plus, the other thing was I worked on the flow team. So they had me stocking shelves and shit. And I'm a man of the people. Put me on the cash register. I wanted them <laughs> to put me on the cash register. Yeah. That seems like it would be the, the most fun. Yeah. Plus, you get to, to talk to all the pretty fucking girls and everything like that. Too. I was going to say that, dude. Every woman that I know is obsessed with Target. Yeah. So I wanted to work fucking out front. But they always were like, no, you got to stay back here. And I was like, I have cashier experience. I can do it. And they were like, No. They just wouldn't let me. And I, I was fucking, I was a good cashier. I worked at, at a, uh, as a cashier at this grocery store called Shaw's, and it was fun as fuck, dude. That was, like, back when I first started smoking weed and, like, drinking, <laughs> figuring out how to get laid for the first time. So it was a great time. But, yeah, the stupidity of youth. Yeah. So, wow, that's a lot of traveling in a pretty short amount of time. A short amount of time and also being broke the whole time. Yeah, that's what's tough. And half the time not having a car. Yeah, that's the worst, man. When you uh, ha- when you have a car and then you go back to not having a car, it's like, it's like getting your arms chopped off. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it sucks, dude. I I mean, just walking everywhere in Colorado, it was uh, it was definitely a challenge. Yeah, I um, yeah, I can't even imagine. I there was one time that uh, I actually let in college. I let one of my friends borrow my car, and it was uh, actually I know specific because I think in twenty. Did you live here in twenty? When did you move here? I moved here in 2015. Okay. Well, you were not here. In 2014, the winter of 2014 was one of the worst winters that they had had in like almost a decade here. And I lived in Murfreesboro and you know in Murfreesboro like they're starting to get really good roads out there, but in 2014 they were not really on it. And I was driving a 98 Chevy Malibu. I was working at Arby's at the time. And my buddy had just moved um, to Murfreesboro with me. And, uh, I mean, I, I was going to college, and I convinced him to move out, like a lot of people do here in Middle Tennessee. They're like, oh, it's so great here. Come out here. And uh, so he moved out. I got him a job at Arby's, and we worked different shifts because I was going to college. And so he would work a lot of times, like, early morning shifts, and I'd have to go to class. And... Um, he wrecked my car, man. And oh, uh, not only did he wreck it, but he left it in the parking lot 
and then it got towed. And I had to find out later, like hours later, because he said his phone died. Oh, no. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, I, my car was fucked, to be honest with you. It was, the whole wheel was, like, turned. Did he, did he, like, go off the road in the snow or something? That's exactly what happened. Yeah. Yeah. The ice, he was taking a back road, and he just, he went completely, like, down into a little ravine. And, uh. And, yeah, I was out of a car for – and I was broke at the time, too. I mean, I was working at Arby's for damn near minimum wage. And, uh, yeah, I think I went three and a half weeks without a car because I had to save up. And, man, it was some of the – it was one of the hardest times in my life, you know, trying to get to work without a car and get back and, you know, still get to class on time. Yeah, it's – it's one of those things where, like, when you have a solid vehicle, it's hard to go back to, n- like, what life was like before that, for sure. Yeah, the the car I have now it was the first nice car I, I had ever owned. Like, I remember when I first got it, dude, just knowing that it wasn't going to break down on me because it was so much newer. And, I mean, it was already a couple years old at this point. Like when I got it, it was it was a used car. It was it's by no means like a fancy car or anything like that. But just having something reliable, it's worth it, man. I don't know if I I would buy a secondary vehicle that is used, but I will always like buy my daily driver off the lot. I'm never going back. New cars, baby. New cars all the way. Like brand <laughs> new. Yeah. I, I bought my first brand new car with help, I will say. I'm not going to take credit and try and make myself out to sound like a baller. But I did buy the car that I have now off the lot. I think there was like nine miles on it when I was 19. Yeah. No, it's it's big once you have something that you can depend on. Yeah. Because then it's like a whole other area. Like there's a whole other side of stress that gets relieved because you know you can go and make money and your money is not going to be affected by whatever car bullshit you have going on yeah man i mean is all i've had to pay for on this car over the years are like oil changes i've had to replace my you know headlights once or one of the headlights actually i had to uh replace my windshield wipers and then I think I got just recently like a year ago I got um I got a brake job but I mean I might be missing one or two things but I mean that's pretty much the extent of the vehicle expenses that I've had over like five years it's a huge relief that you feel when it happens do you have any uh shows coming up that you are Booking with Eat Sleep Rock. So it's actually funny that we were talking about uh, Greg Max earlier. He is playing at Kimbrose with Kelly Stork uh, on April 7th. And then, of course, the May 15th show at the Five Spot. Yes, with Norfleet and Busted Busted Mustard. Mustard. Is there anybody else on that bill yet? There will be, but I am still working on getting uh, that confirmed at the moment. Nice. Cool. Danny, thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. It was fun.